Hello and welcome to another MyTunes podcast here at manxradio.com. Mark Tiley, the nation's station, Manx Radio. We could start anywhere in the world, pretty much, with this week's MyTunes guest, ranging from Norfolk to Iraq to Palestine, maybe pop into Mozambique or Ethiopia. The choice is yours. Please welcome to MyTunes, Rosemary Clark. Rosemary, thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for inviting me. A global traveller, and we will talk an awful lot about that. But before we get stuck in to the whole meat of this, uh, let's flag up an event that you are driving along uh, that is happening the, this coming weekend. Tell me all about this. That's right. Well, it's called Ride and Stride. It happens on Saturday, the 17th of September, and the idea is to um, encourage people to visit as many of our island churches as they can on that day between 10 and 6. It's the second year we've done it. Last year, there was one person on his bicycle who actually managed to go around all 80 of them, uh, covering more than 130 miles in so doing. So we're not expecting that. And you don't even have to cycle. You could walk. Last year we had somebody on a mobility scooter, or you could have a horse, um, you could even get a group of you together and go in a car. And as a sort of added incentive, we've got a treasure hunt that's part of it. So more than 50 of the churches have got symbols that you'll be able to see whenever you go. So even if the church is shut, it will be visible either looking through a window or on a notice board. And uh, yeah, there will be prizes. Excellent. And this is a UK-wide initiative? Uh, It is. It started 40 years ago in the UK. It's expanded over the years. It started as a cycle ride. Then they've moved to include walking and now all kinds of things. Now, they have theirs on the second Saturday in September, but both years, those Saturdays have been so full of events here on the island that it seemed much more sensible to go for the third Saturday. Well, we'll talk a lot more about it during the week, especially towards the end, and point people at it. But I want to go back to Surrey, where you grew up, and and you got involved quite early on in broadcasting. So I'm a bit nervous here, because I've got a professional broadcaster over there. <laughs> so how did the broadcasting come about, Rosemary? Well, I managed to get a job in BBC School Radio um, as a secretary. It was actually more than a secretary because we, in radio, as you know, it's a very unlike television where you have a whole team of people. And so I was working on geography programmes, which was the area I had been teaching in. And so I got to meet all the guests. I did type the scripts, but I also got to go into the studio to get accurate timings. Uh, to go and find the sound effects that we needed and the music. And it was all very interesting. However, after about a year, I thought, well, I can do this. I'd like my boss's job, please. (laughs) And unfortunately, he wasn't going anywhere. So I was able to move around a little bit in London, working in different departments. And then I really wanted a, a bigger opportunity. And in London, everything's very streamlined. This is your job and you do it. Um, And I tried working alongside local radio. Um, I'd done a few pieces for them, including learning Japanese over five Saturdays. Um, And eventually they enabled me to go up to Radio Norfolk. So I was able to be there as a researcher and reporter 
and then went on to do some production as well. Now that, I know the station quite well, because uh, these days I've got quite a few friends who have been there, and, and some are still working there. And it's very, I have to say, it's quite similar to Manx Radio in that it's a big community-focused station, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. And um, the people who had their own shows were local celebrities and would go around opening fates. And, yeah, it was good. Let's have a look at this first choice of music. What are we going for? Oh, we're going for Black and White by um, Greyhound. Um, I remember I was a student at the time when it came out and heard it on the radio and I thought... This song, it's really gripping me in a way that the general pop music wasn't. Um, and I actually tuned to Radio 1 for the whole day in the hope that they'd play it again. <laughs> they didn't. Um, but it, it's really interesting because it is contrasting um, different people. And so often we are only interested in people who are like us. And so it's interesting, for example, that now we're welcoming Ukrainian refugees here, which is absolutely fabulous but we weren't so welcoming of Syrians. And so I think deep in many of us, there is an acknowledgement of the difference because of skin colour, which there shouldn't be because we're all people. And so I think the message of the song came through to me too, even at that stage. Together we learn to read and write, to read and write. A child is black, a child is white, the whole world looks upon the side, a beautiful side. And now a child can started my tunes yesterday with my guest Rosemary Clark. I said we could have gone anywhere. And I mentioned a few countries. Countries that 
aren't necessarily the easiest places on the planet to work in. Palestine, Mozambique, Ethiopia, Iraq. Rosemary, these were not easy places to go and take a beach umbrella, are they? Um, that's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> um, they are all beautiful places and places where, well, for some of them it's really difficult to go as a tourist. So it was a huge privilege to go there and to meet the people and to see the amazing landscapes that there were. I also need to tell our listeners that you were there for months. This wasn't just a quick in and out in some cases. How did the travel and the working in these challenging places come about? Well, it started when I was invited to go to Iraq after the first Gulf War. And it was because of a family connection with a small charity and when you may remember that the Kurds all went up into the mountains in the snow in the March of that year, and the particular charity was the first one to get there to begin the relief work, and they were closely followed by others. And six months on, they were thinking, should we say our work is now finished, or should we use the experience that we have to prepare people for the next winter? They decided to take the second option, but the team of people they'd had were really for emergencies and needed to go on to work in other emergencies. And so because they knew of me and because I was working in a freelance capacity, they asked me if I would like to go. And I'd, for many years I had been concerned about people who, whose opportunities have been so much less than ours are and wondered if there was anything that I could do to support them. And this was the first opportunity that I got. So I didn't really know what shelling was. And as I was about to go out, the, the, the tier fund people who were already there, um, they had, had been caught in shelling in the very city I was going to. Um, fortunately, I wasn't um, involved in any of that. Although one day I was driving into the centre of our city and um, unbeknownst to me, I was driving towards a bomb that went off. Um, but I was there just before, so I was okay. But it was really concerning whether people that we knew had been hurt. And of course, people that we don't know, they're still people and they've still got families and friends who would be grieving too. So you were eyes and ears on the ground, but also offering very practical help. That's right. I mean, I was doing admin work, but the rest of the team were doing really helpful things. So we were rebuilding clinics and schools. I helped to equip schools with tables and chairs, but not the kind that we would think. Um, I was taken to a workshop where they were making more like what I had in primary school, and they were made of very solid, heavy wood, um, combining the bench with the double desk so that they would be strong enough for the use that they would be put to. So very basic, but functional. So the... Uh, the organisations we're talking about, CORD, remind me again, C-O-R-D. Yes, Christian Outreach, Relief and Development. So two trips with them. Yes, so that was Iraq and Mozambique. Yep. And, and in, in between, with Tear Fund, I went to Ethiopia. But Tear Fund also had workers in Iraq, which is why I mentioned them just now and probably totally confused you. No, you didn't. I, I was almost there. But Ethiopia has a completely different set of problems, or had, or maybe still does, have a completely different set of problems, doesn't it? Yes, my role there was very different. Ethiopia is a really interesting country in lots of ways. When I was there, about a third of the population were Muslim and about a third were Orthodox Christian. And then there was a very keen, maybe 10% of Protestant Christians. 
And one of those churches, a denomination called the Kahala Haywood Church, which had two million members, they reckon, which is more than the Church of England, as well as being a spiritual base, they also were doing development work amongst their own people. But they weren't really letting their funders know what was happening. And so people in the UK, such as Tear Fund, who were funding projects, weren't hearing whether the money was being spent properly. And so it had been identified that they needed somebody to help with communications. So I went out to set up a little team to do effective reporting, which meant that I got to go and see some of the projects that were happening and then instituted annual reports and so on. And how long were you in Ethiopia for? For three years. Three years. That's remarkable. I mean, that is a great portion of your life. Well, very often people think that those of us who go to exciting places um, have done a great thing by all the help that we have given. But having been out there and been involved with three countries, I would say that it's I who have learned and benefited from those experiences more than any of the people that I met. That leads us very nicely into today's tune, I think. Amazing Grace. Yes. In fact, this was triggered when I was still a student and I was doing some map work late at night. It had to be in the following day, in the days when Radio 2 stopped broadcasting at 2 o'clock in the morning. I could do a practical job, but I had the radio on for company, not really desperately interested in it. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, came this amazing voice of Judy Collins singing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now 
This week on My Tunes, my guest has travelled the world. She is Rosemary Clark. She came to the Isle of Man in 2011, and we haven't talked about getting you here yet, and we'll probably do that tomorrow, because today I want to talk about what I think is an incredible role. Well, they've all been amazing roles with your work overseas, but in Israel-Palestine, pretty much as a peacekeeper or an observer. Talk me through that, Rosemary. Well... Um, It came about because I was coming up towards retirement and I was thinking, what am I going to do? Hang on, I'm going to stop you there. uh, You can't say, I'm coming up to retirement, therefore I'll go to Israel as a peacekeeper. That's crazy because you're taking on a massive job. Well, I wanted to have a complete break from what I had been doing and I wasn't sure what I was going to do generally in the retirement. And um, this project was for three months, so a limited timescale. And I thought if they would have me, um, it would be a very interesting experience because it's very difficult to know exactly what's happening between Israel and Palestine. And some people will say that the BBC is far too pro-Israel and others will say it's far too pro-Palestine. And the truth is that the situation on the ground for the real people never really gets heard. So I can give you just one example of a situation that I I witnessed. I was living in the south of Palestine and there were a team of us and we had a local man who was a driver and also acted as an interpreter. And one evening at about 20 past nine, he came um, to us and said, "Um, I've just heard that the Israeli army have gone into a village in our patch and they're demolishing the school. What do you want to do about it? So... um, We didn't know, Um, but it was dark and we knew that when the Israeli army go in, they put a cordon around the place. So you're either in or you're out. So we decided there was no point in going at that time in the evening um, because we wouldn't be allowed in and we couldn't see anything because everything was dark. So we decided to go early the following morning. And when we got there, um, we found where the school had been. Now the school was a fairly simple structure. I'd seen others built on similar lines and it was kind of like around a rectangle. So there were five classrooms and a space for the staff. Quite simple stuff, single story. And when we got there, all that was left was the concrete uh, base of this structure and then the pillars that had supported the roof. They'd taken everything else. They'd taken the tables, they'd taken the chairs, they'd emptied the water tanks and taken those, they'd loaded the toilets on and taken them as well. So that all that was left was a few bits and pieces that I guess didn't fit on the lorry, mainly from the staff room. And and that was all that was left. Did you get any explanation as to why this had happened? For example, did Israeli intelligence believe the school was being used for some other purpose? Uh, No, I don't think they did think there was anything going on there. But what they said was, um, there's no planning permission for this school. Now, if you want to get planning permission and you need it for anything, um, you can apply and you can pay your fee. But if you're Palestinian, you get a 3% chance of getting planning permission. So basically, you can't get it. So if you need a school, then you build it and hope either that the Israelis won't notice or more likely that they'll see that it's an education establishment and they've signed up to the Geneva Convention, which says that you know the 
it protects education for children. So having witnessed this, what did you and the organisation do as follow-up? Um, well, when we were there, it was extraordinary because um, when we got there, there was one man and there was a child with her rucksack looking as though she'd come to school and there was no school there. And in the course of a couple of hours, the place was transformed. I mean, I'm not sure that the Isle of Man could do this, but um, a lorry came and it was full of tables and chairs. So they set the tables and chairs out on the concrete base for the children to use. Another lorry came with canvas and they propped the canvas over the remaining pillars so that there was some protection because this was in March and the weather was still quite cold. And of course, what we then did was we went back and we um, wrote it all up and sent photographs to the United Nations and other people to document it. And I tried to get it into the educational press in the UK. And I was appalled to find that the education, uh, Times Educational Supplement doesn't do foreign stories. Really? And they'd taken one from me when I was in Iraq, but yeah. they wouldn't anymore. They'd changed their policy. And the Education Guardian wasn't interested either. But for me, it was a really dramatic story that should be told. And that three months, was it just three months or did you stay on longer? No, no. What they, the whole idea of the programme is it's twofold. One is that you go and observe and report. And the second is that you come back and you tell the stories so that there's more understanding in the wider population. So if you go back or stay on, then you're not having different people with different folk that they can come back and talk to. And this role was often reversed because you'd also be working on uh, Israeli projects that have been impacted by uh, aggression coming over the other way. Well, we could be um, because it's an impartial programme, yep. um, but it is on the side of the underdogs. And as it happened while I was there, um, there was no incident that I in my patch where I could be on the opposite side. But I tried to be fair and straightforward in all the reporting that I did. Let's have today's track. What's it going to be? Well, out of all the possible Simon and Garfunkel tunes I could have chosen, the idea of being a bridge over troubled water is a very powerful image. And I think one that each of us can take on in our own relationships. And as we see other people struggling, to try and be for them a bridge over troubled water.
My guest, Rosemary Clark, all over the planet, eventually decided to come to the Isle of Man for a job in 2011. And this is where you, dear listener, may have come across it before. The One World Centre, because you've been working in that sort of area, in Milton Keynes, with the concrete cows and all the rest of it and the roundabouts. And you picked up the, the Isle of Man baton and you got here in 2011. The One World Centre. When was that set up, Rosemary? It was started in 2004. And ah. You remember perhaps Cheryl Cousins, who was the first person who really got it off, um, up and running and doing a lot of things, many of them based on the more arty side, which I don't particularly have. But because I'd been working in a very similar area, I knew what I was trying to do and the kind of things that might work here. It was good to be able to introduce some creative things like um, a poetry slam, like a film competition. 
and then to carry on with some really good ones, ones I think that you were involved with too, Mark, the charity challenge. I certainly was with the legendary Hugh Davidson. We were, well, yes, it was great to see so many initiatives from uh, young people across the island. And that's still going? It is still going, yes. Yeah. Good. But I got to beyond retirement age and thought now is the time to go. Now, you've retired for, more like Frank Sinatra, these retirement <laughs> concerts. I don't think you're ever going to stop, because we'll talk about your current project in just a minute. But music-wise, I want to just play a little bit of something that we're going to put the whole lot in a podcast, because you've got a rather talented member of your family. Yes, one of my nieces, um, she was desperate to go to drama school and went to lots of auditions and didn't um, get in initially and went to study in Nottingham Hispanic Studies. But she's always loved singing. And um, one December, she came home and wrote a song. And the next day, she went into their basement with a computer and recorded it. And the very next day, it was being played on Radio Oxford. We're going to play a little bit of it now. Don't worry, the whole thing will be in the podcast, which will be available a little later. Analog, love it. Yule Log, the title of the track. Walking to the station in the Christmas lights, I heard Carol singing out of sight. Turned the corner and there they were, twenty little carol singers dressed in fur. Thank you. 
Anna log, Yule log. You know what? I'm going to play that at Christmas as well, Rosemary. That would be excellent. I will definitely play that at Christmas. So, One World Centre, we got you to the Isle of Man. You were totally right for the job. You gripped it. And you were there for how long? I think it was uh, over six years. And then retired again. This lady keeps retiring. Uh, Busy with uh, the cathedral here. Yes. When I moved to Peel, I thought, um, which of the churches do I feel I would like to be part of? I visited them all, um, good things about each of them, but the cathedral was where I felt I belonged. And after I'd been there a couple of months, um, Nigel said to me, um, are you ready for a vocations chat? And I thought, well, nobody's ever offered me one of them before. So I said, well, okay. And as a result of our conversation, I went on to train as a lay minister. And so in my retirement, um, I'm involved in quite a few different things. Amazingly, he shares his pulpit, so I have the opportunity of preaching. I'm involved in getting alongside people in pastoral work. I'm involved in exhibitions there. I've been helping with the gardens and taking people round because you may know that the gardens are now increasingly spectacular and telling the story of, of the island's history and particularly Christianity coming to it. You haven't retired. You won't retire. There'll always be a draw to do something. And I'm glad, because with your experiences, it would be awfully disappointing to see you with your with your feet up listening to us all day long. <laughs> that wouldn't do at all. So let's go back to where we started. This weekend, it's already sort of started. You can start going around the churches and take a look. Just take me through this lovely initiative again. OK. Ride and stride. Ride and stride, yeah. Visit as many churches as you can, um, particularly on Saturday the 17th of September. Um, Maybe take a selfie to show that you've been there. If you can, get people to sponsor you by the number of churches that you go to and decide which of the churches on the island you'd like to give that money to. But also there's a treasure hunt. And so the symbols have been up since Saturday and will stay up until the end of next Sunday the 25th. And uh, there's an entry form which you can find on the website. Um, and so the idea is you go around and you find all the symbols and you either copy them or describe them. And then you send in your your uh, form and there will be prizes for the winners. Glittering prizes. Rosemary, it's been, we could have done three weeks on this or more. It's been lovely having you in. Thank you so much. And thanks for telling us all the amazing things you've done and still doing. I think this last choice is a bit tongue-in-cheek in in terms of not being busy. I think you could be right. (laughs) (laughs) How are we going to end the week? By being busy doing absolutely nothing. In the company of Bing Crosby. Perfect. Rosemary, thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. We're busy doing nothing, working the whole day through, trying to find lots of things not to do. We're busy going nowhere, isn't it just a crime? We'd like to be unhappy, but we never do have the time. I have to watch the river to see that it doesn't stop. And stick around the rosebud so they'll know when to pop. Better keep the crickets cheerful, they're really a solemn bunch. Puzzle, puzzle, and only an hour for lunch. La 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 la
Lots of things not to do. We're busy going nowhere. Isn't it just a crime? We'd like to be unhappy, but we never do have the time. I have to wake the sun up. He's liable to sleep all day. And then inspect the rainbow so they'll be bright and gay. You must rehearse the songbirds. To see that they sing in key. If you insist, I do by all means. Hustle, bustle, and never a moment free. We're busy doing nothing, working the whole day through. Trying to find lots of things not to do. We're busy going nowhere, isn't it just a crime? We'd like to be unhappy, but we never do have the time. I have to meet a turtle, I'm teaching them how to swim. Then I have to shine the dewdrops, you know they're looking rather dim. No! I told my friend the robin, I'd buy him a brand new vest. Hustle, hustle. We never do have, we never do have, we never do, never do, never do, never do, never do have the time. Never do have the time. My thanks to Rosemary Clark for a marvellous My Tunes Week right here on Manx Radio. I'm Mark Tiley. Hope you can join me Monday to Friday, 9.30 to 12, for more of The Morning Show with Shaw. And keep popping back here to manxradio.com because there are new podcasts coming up all the time.